Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Well, hello, Flip Your Lid audience. So good to be back in this seat doing what we're doing and have a really intelligent, amazing guest with us today. Today we have Liz Jenkins. She is an amazing woman and she has a lot to share with us about her experience in the church and about who she is. And so before we go any further, hey Liz, welcome. Hey Kim, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, honored. You've been on so many big name podcasts and you've done so many cool things. Thank you for humbling yourself to hang out with me. (laughs) The honor is mine. Thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. So looking forward to our audience learning about you. And so the best way is for us just to jump in there. Sounds good. All right. So here we go. So please tell all of us what flipped your lid and what measures you've had to take to reconnect to who you really are. Yeah, I've been thinking about this because I feel like there isn't necessarily just one thing or one moment. But if I had to pick one, um, it would be kind of the whole season where um, I was working at a conservative evangelical church full time in college ministry. Um, and that was also the church that I'd been attending since my freshman year of college. So several years at that point. Um, and I was becoming slowly uh, more and more LGBTQ affirming, the more that I mm-hmm. thought and prayed about it and read and studied and talked to people, the more affirming I became. And that was happening at the same time that I was kind of realizing that um, if I was on this journey of becoming affirming, I had no future at that church. Um, wow. I had no future working there for sure. And I didn't really see a future being a happy part of a church that wouldn't want me working there because of what I believed. Um, Mm. So that was that was a bit of a rough time. That was that was Mm -hmm. several years ago. It was also roughly around the same time that um, Trump was being elected president in 2016. And I was kind of uh, naively shocked that there were people in my church that supported him, even though Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many reasons as Christians I felt not to. Um, so those mm-hmm. are kind of, yeah, that was kind of the time in my life that I think of when I hear that question about flipping your lid. Um, and it's been a long journey of coming back and coming around and, yeah, kind of unpacking all of that since then. Yeah, it's a lot to reconcile. The, the courage it takes, especially something that doesn't directly, if I understand, affect you. Like you don't have to be affirming. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me that, you know, I understand the value of me trying to reconcile my sexual orientation. I also understand the value when I'm studying racism and learning what racism is really about and how we got to where we are. That means so much to my brown and black brothers and sisters because to them, right. I don't have to do that work. So that's what I'm experiencing right. with you right now, that beautiful empathy that mm-hmm. you took something that you don't have to study. But once you do study and find out what's really happening, how people have been lied to about sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that once you do that and you, you deconstruct that and bring in that truth that you're just not the same. Yeah. <laughs> you're not the same. Your relationship with church is not the same. Yes. I mean, depending on what kind yes. of church you go to. I think sometimes for women, we're kind of socialized that it's not okay to advocate for ourselves, but maybe it is That's okay right. to, to advocate for somebody else. So I think mm-hmm. that was kind of part mm-hmm. of my journey too, that I was frustrated with the way that the church treated women 
but I didn't know like what to do with that. And so when I also became frustrated with the way that the church was treating queer folks, that felt easier to, to act on or at least to speak about or kind of try to wrestle with. And um, yeah, that was part of the journey too. Yeah, that's a deep truth. I love what you just said is that most of us are taught to have a, to be other reference, to be relationship yeah. oriented, whether we naturally are or not, right? Just to be other referenced. And you're allowed to be preoccupied with someone else's experiencing. Right. And, but not to, for what you're experiencing. But in doing that, it lets you be upset about what you as a woman in a church has so much to offer is experiencing because the same thing they've done around women being on the stage is the same lies they've had around sexual orientation. Right. That's a lot for you to, to bring in, but what a beautiful avenue and path for you to like, it's, it's okay for it to be about you. Right. Can you talk, can you talk right. more about that? Like it, how sad is we talk mm -hmm. about the fact that we're allowed to pay attention to ourselves. Totally. Yeah. I think that's been such a journey of coming to realize and embrace that. Um, and I think, um, I mean, I, I reflect in my book a little bit about how as somebody working in college ministry, um, I realized that I had things I wanted for students, right? Like I wanted them to love themselves. I wanted mm. them to fully embrace who they were. I wanted them to be their unique selves that God created them to be and yeah. to find this balance between loving others and loving themselves at the same mm. time. And yet for me, I felt like I had to be always like giving and always loving and kind of neglecting myself. Or maybe I didn't feel like I had to be that way, but I was that way. And something yeah. kind of sparked that, right? Right. Um, where I got some, I picked up some idea along the way that that was who I was supposed to be as a woman, as a Christian, as a person in ministry, as a woman in ministry. Mm. Um yeah, so it was kind of a journey of trying to really internalize mm -hmm. for myself that like mm -hmm. all these things that I wanted for students, right? That, like rest mm -hmm. and restoration and things that mm -hmm. fed their souls. Like that's also for me. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking about the fact that you are, we were talking about underdeveloped soul, like, you know, going to mm -hmm. church and certain things don't really help you develop your soul. Mm -hmm. doesn't really teach balance and essence, right? But you're at Stanford mm -hmm. University reconciling all this and in Stanford University is just known as a, as a place of academia obviously it's it, there's their intellectual property is valued right like what you are your intellectual real estate is is why you're there but you're bringing in emotion you're bringing in wholeness but you're in a place where probably thinking is overvalued and emotions are undervalued yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think um, the evangelical church appealed to me in college in large part because there were people saying, like, you're not just your intellect, yeah. like, and you're not just your achievement, you're right. not just your productivity. Um, like, there's more to life than this. And that mm -hmm. was all really appealing. And I still very much believe in that. Um, but then I think sometimes that can get twisted into a, like, there's more to life than this. And it's all in the church and yeah. it's all in serving the church and putting all of your energy there, um, which I think, you know, may be true for some people if that's mm -hmm. what God's calling them to. But I think God's calling people to all sorts of different things mm -hmm. in our world that are not necessarily that. Um, so I think there's been that that journey um, and also the journey of kind of trying to reintegrate emotions and intellect when it comes to theology. Um, I mean, if you, yeah, take examples like women in ministry or queer affirmation, mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes there's 
some people, I think, would maybe have a perspective that like people who want to support women in ministry or want to support queer folks, like they're just kind of letting their emotions play with them mm-hmm. or get the better of them or if they're having too much empathy or compassion, which mm-hmm. I don't really think is a thing. But um, yeah, there's this kind of view that like, if you just think about like the rationality and the intellect of it, and just consider theology from that angle, then you would come to a different conclusion. And I don't think that that's true. (laughs) I don't think those uh, oppressive views actually make rational sense. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's the goal that we're supposed to only engage that part of ourselves and not the emotions and the intuition and all these other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking of who does it benefit for us to not use all parts of our internal template, right? To to, to be about doing, thinking and feeling like all of it gets to come in and it benefits people for us to not, to keep all that repressed, right? And that's part of the oppressive system. So you're, you're at Stanford starting to reconcile and then you go get your MDiv. Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I started my MDiv around the same time that all of that was. Yeah. So I started my MDiv around the same time that all of that was happening, where I was realizing that I didn't have a future at the church that I was working at. Um, And I think especially at first, it was so good and so freeing to be able to pursue theological studies in a way that wasn't tied to the future of my career or my work. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, that kind of I didn't really have that kind of intellectual freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Like the church kind of encouraged me to explore and look into these questions that I had. But from the perspective that if you come to certain conclusions, you can no longer work here. Mm. And how are you supposed to honestly explore mm. what you think about things when there's that pressure? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really freeing to just, you know, kind of mutually decide that mm. we were not going to pursue a future there um, and to go to seminary and have time and space to read and think through things um, without pressure to come to certain views. Um, And I'm not trying to say that the seminary that I went to was perfect. Um, There are definitely ways where by the end of it, it started to feel constrictingly conservative in its Mm. own ways. Um, Mm. But at least like in that school setting, if it's kind of a reasonably healthy school setting, you have freedom to think and Um, students can come to different conclusions and that's okay. Like you're Mm. being graded on your engagement and your thoughtfulness and not like your beliefs. I love your word choice. It's so obvious you're a writer. Constrictively conservative, right? Like what a great way of putting that in that you're saying you had the courage Mm -hmm. to look at what are we constricting? What are we, who (laughs) are we constricting? And that really affected your heart. Like that affected... The, the idea of marginalizing people, the idea of people who've already been promoted continue to be promoted. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And you see that even in spaces that are trying to be not that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, True. say, yeah. at the seminary that I went to, it's um, in theory committed to mm-hmm. racial justice and equity. In theory, it's committed to women in ministry. Unfortunately, it's not committed to supporting queer folks. Um, mm-hmm. But even in those things that they wanted to commit to, or they kind of had a lot of stated values around, um, that's not necessarily how things work, right? Like when an organization has been set up by a certain set of white men, 
to favor a certain set of white men and to serve a certain set of white men. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes a lot of really intentional effort to change that. It doesn't just happen Mm -hmm. naturally because you say that you're committed to women or committed to people of color. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you just reminded me of something that happened last night. And so we're going to sidestep for a second. All right. And so um, my wife and I are, are wanting to foster to adopt. And oh, awesome. yeah, we want to foster to adopt a teenager because there's, that is the unwelcomed, unwanted mm-hmm. group. And we know what it feels like to be unwanted and unwelcomed, right? So we're, we're in this, we're in our fourth week, just finished our fourth week of foster care class. And so everybody in there, like there's some bomb, we've kind of mm-hmm. seen who's who and all that. And we like everybody cool. in there. Conversation comes up last night about gender stereotyping and, and being soft on females and me saying like this really not a great way to prepare a female mm-hmm. to go into this world to be soft on them because it's just not, it's not, it's not a place like we're taught to be nice to mm-hmm. our stalker. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. To politely right. ask our stalker to not stalk us. Right. So anyway, we're talking about that. And some white men in the room, again, this is their perspective. That's all they can have. Right. Are sharing about that women should talk to girls about women things, boys, men should talk to boys about boys things that there should be certain segregation. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like that, uh, only a woman should talk to a girl about mm. starting her period. And I said, well, wouldn't it be great, your your theory you're applying, if that was done in government? Because men are deciding right now about my right. body. Right. right? Is it, so if we're going to apply what you're saying, then my body, my choice. Right. right. So where it counts, where we need it to happen, men are making decisions. One-on-one talking to a 13-year-old child about starting her period, whether it's male or female, that that's where you want to make it specialized. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that long story you talk about, like, it's just interesting when we decide this is gender specific and when we decide, like, no, I know Right. There's so much of that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I reflect in the book a bit on um, kind of the very first time that I remember um, at the church that I went to for 11 years total, the first time I remember feeling anything but comfortable and happy as a young mm-hmm. woman there. And it was when I was in kind of a college group discussion um, when I was a student, not when I was leading the ministry, um, but I was part of a discussion and the topic was women in ministry. And um, somebody in the group said something like, well, if women want to lead in certain ways, why not let them? And somebody else responded, a man responded, um, yeah, but giving people what they want isn't always what's best for them. Interesting. What did you do with that? (laughs) I had no idea what to do with it at the time. I think I was just like, that does not feel right. But I didn't know how to process it. But um, Mm. in all the years of reflection since, I think, I mean, that's what comes to mind when you talk about politicians, male politicians making decisions for on behalf of women thinking that they know what's best and there's this Mm -hmm. mindset that we are naturally the ones in power and we get to choose where to share that power or not share that power and um that we yeah just that we know what's best for somebody else better than they do um yeah 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 Yeah, can can you elaborate on that about you know instructing anybody male female trans non-binary whatever it is around looking back on moments where we want to have a voice, mm-hmm. don't even quite yet know how to have a voice because we're like, we've been taught to not process, yeah. right? To only interpret what's been interpreted already, right? And to not be allowed to have our own interpretation and then process, like just even speaking in an encouraging way of how do we treat ourselves and start learning to have a voice. 
Mm, yeah. I mean, I think we have to learn to trust our own gut and intuitions about these things because um, something cannot feel right. And maybe nobody else feels that way or notices that, or maybe it seems like nobody else notices that, but they're really just not showing it. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's kind of a process of developing a trust of like my perspective is valid. My experience is valid. It may or may not be the same as somebody else's, but it's equally mm -hmm. valid. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mm -hmm. think that we have to always speak up in the moment about these things. I think that we can, and that's yeah. always a valid choice. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think we should feel like we have to, like we're the ones who have to correct everyone and everything and make right, everything right good. all the time. Yeah, because yeah. that can come at a cost. And yeah. I think it's okay to count that cost and to speak up mm -hmm. where we feel like we want to and should speak up and mm -hmm. to let things go, <laughs> not because they're okay, but because it's not like worth the cost to us at that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's powerful. And for everyone just listening and think about like, so you're having an experience and not always having them in the moment, being able to be in the moment, yeah. right? Because when we go into a trauma response, when something happens that lands really hard, like we can very easily become frozen mm -hmm. and, you be able to take all of this and all this accumulation of, of awareness and 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 write about it. So it doesn't have to be in the moment, right? Like writing is is your and speaking obviously is one of your your avenues to bring some justice. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the hope to bring some justice and also just to affirm the experiences of other women who may be thinking similar things, but weren't sure if it was safe to say them or um, weren't sure if they're the only ones thinking these things. So yeah, yeah my hope is to kind of call yeah. things out for those who might mm -hmm. be open to being challenged and also to just affirm and encourage those mm -hmm. who may have had some similar experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the favorite part of your book for you? Um, I think that changes depending yeah. on the mood and season. Um, right. I think, um, I, yeah, I think that some of the parts that go into like different ways of speaking about and to God, whether that's in prayer or church liturgy or songs, um, or just kind of how we think about God and the images that we have. I think mm. a lot of that's just been really powerful for me. And I still think mm. about it a lot because I think, um, I mean, I think it's been kind of a journey of becoming more comfortable with uh, feminine or gender neutral images and language for God. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's been really powerful, but also still something that um, I just, like I have to consciously think about because it's so like deeply ingrained in so many of our church experiences that even if you wouldn't say that God is a man or God is an old white yeah. man, you might have that image of God. And um, I think mm -hmm. it's kind of at the point now where when people do use exclusively masculine language and images for God, like that's a little jarring and off-putting for me, but it's taking mm -hmm. quite a while to get there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely a journey, you know, inside yeah. of that. Yeah. How how has this affected friendships, family relationships? Like this is, this can very much shake the foundation and those who have been a part of your foundation. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I think it was really hard to leave the church that I was a part of for 11 years. And I took the easy route. I just left when I moved across the state to go to seminary. I didn't have like an, a more intentional or uh, dramatic kind of leaving experience. Um, but it was still hard. And it was mm -hmm. still, um, that was still a big shift and a community that meant a lot to me and mm -hmm. still means a lot to me. Um, and it was really hard to let that go. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I think um, I've been surprised in a good way by some of the friendships that I've been able to keep, even if we don't necessarily agree about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as long as we're able to be honest and be our full selves and feel uh, cared for and respected by each other, um, I think that sometimes people are willing to be friends where I may have assumed that they wouldn't have been. Mm, Yeah. yeah, but then some some relationships don't last. And I think it's been a process of ex- coming to accept that some of those relationships were really meaningful for a time and mm-hmm. they weren't able to last forever, at least in the mm-hmm. same way as they did. And that's okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been really good, I think, to now be part of a church community that is queer affirming, um, that is trying to do some really intentional work around racial justice issues, um, a church that has a female senior pastor, which is mm-hmm. part of why a lot of us are there because we felt like we wanted and needed that. Um, so I think that's been really good just to also mm-hmm. build new relationships there and mm-hmm. see some of the possibilities of what church could be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it can sound simple, but it's not, especially when you have been traumatized within the church. Religious abuse is very mm-hmm. real. We are just now talking about it. Mm. And, you know, many people are saying things like how there's so many trans people, but there wasn't before. How there's so many people <laughs> leaving the church when it didn't happen before. Why there's like asking, since there's such an accumulation of religious trauma that the idea is mm. that there's so much now, therefore it wasn't really happening. Truth is, it's a domino effect, right? People are start realizing just like, yeah. just like um, left-handed people, like the incident of left-handed people, like started to increase when we stopped being as because people were considered disabled, mm-hmm. people were considered something was wrong mm-hmm. with them if they were left-handed, so they hid it. Right. Same thing right. with gender orientation. All right, kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm going such a ramp. I don't even know where I was going with this, but I really was going somewhere <laughs> really good with this, right? But just just the idea for you of of you know trying to step into you know a new life. So talk about again. It can sound simple, but it's not. What what would you tell people to look for? What do they ask the lead pastor or the associate pastor? What are you looking for in church? You know, this is actually affirming safe diversity, that kind of thing. What would be like top, maybe three questions that someone could ask? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think, I think just representation and leadership is huge. And that Mm -hmm. can be as simple as going to the church website and looking at their staff, looking at their elders, Mm -hmm. if they're an elder led church and, um, seeing are they all white men? <laughs> uh, or do you see some diversity in gender and race, mm-hmm. ethnicity, age? Um, yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, I think if you do get to sit down and talk with someone, just asking some questions about um, the things that you value and how those take shape in the community and see if you can get past uh, what the community might want to value mm-hmm. or say that they value mm-hmm. to how things actually are. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can ask how often do you see women preaching? How often do you see queer folks preaching? Mm-hmm. How often do you see people of color preaching? Right. Um, you can ask what kinds of language people use in church services and um, like, are people open to different ways of talking to and about God? Um Yeah, I mean, I think just the leadership thing is huge. I mean, I think a church can be uh, something that looks like a diverse, happy family. But if there's only white men who have all the power, something Mm -hmm. is very, very wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So speak into it, because a lot of people, some people are going to hear this and think, why, what's wrong with an all-white male perspective? What's wrong with Mm -hmm. an all-white male interpretation of the Bible? Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, totally. Um, oh, you just, you miss so much when you only hear one perspective yeah. and when that's what's dominant. Um, I think there's, and there's a lot of research that shows that diverse teams are stronger and make better decisions. Um, and I think that's true when it comes to theology too, that mm -hmm. diverse groups of people interpreting scripture together, um, you know, come up with the best interpretations mm -hmm. in the sense of interpretations that, that are good for more people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, yeah, nothing against white men, lots of great white men. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that when you hold power in these social structures like race and gender, um, there are just a lot of things that are hard to mm -hmm. see. And there are a lot of things that people on the underside of those power structures see that people with those sorts of power don't. Um, so yeah. it's not that they're bad people necessarily, um, but that there are, yeah, there are areas that we all need to grow and need to learn how to see. There are lots mm -hmm. of things as a white person that I need to learn how to see and need to learn how to listen to people of color interpreting scripture. Um, so we all we all kind of have those areas where it's like, oh, I never read that passage in that way. And that's so mm -hmm. good. Like, that's something I need to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so well said. And, and just, a, you know, an understanding of, you know, that what's happened, because, you know, there's three intelligence centers. And people see the world either by doing, they see the world through thinking, or they see the mm -hmm. world through feelings. And what has happened is overall is that you've had people who are more aggressive, who, which means they move against people who see the world as doing, be the people mm -hmm. who are, are translating and who are in the pulpit. That means you're missing two other intelligence centers that yeah. can be brought in. And that's a simple way when we could even add so many more layers to that, right? Um, but the idea of when people have such different experiences and if our whole concept is about burying what needs to be buried and be resurrected as a new self and become more and more mm -hmm. of the essence before God with the same perspective, same translation passed down generation from generation, we don't get to have that experience. Right. And that goes all the right. way back to like the councils of people who form mm. some of the theological statements that a lot of Christians take for granted. That goes back mm. to the time of the Reformation and who was leading mm. that and who they did or didn't listen to. Mm. Um, so I think it, it goes way back. Yeah. And I think there's mm -hmm. sometimes a view that, you know, this is the way Christianity has always been. And so this is the way that it always be um, mm -hmm. when really it's meant to be something that's always changing and always reforming itself mm -hmm. and taking different shapes. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think it was ever meant to be dominated by these councils of wealthy men who didn't really listen to women, probably didn't acknowledge the existence mm -hmm. of where people like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in all your studying and pursuit of writing your book about like when you look at the councils and, and the canons that were included, excluded, or something about that, about who wasn't listened to, that really kind of just helped shape you? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was, like, learning a little bit more about how some of those conversations went down and how mm -hmm. some minority viewpoints were just kind of squelched because they were minority viewpoints. Uh -huh. um, so I think that really got me reflecting as somebody who had some minority viewpoints in the church that I was a part of for a long time mm. um, of like, oh, just because it's the minority doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. Right. Um, it got me thinking about how people in power often just use that power to say like, yeah, we all think this way, so it must mm -hmm. be the right way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it got me thinking about those things. I think there's also just a lot of really 
openly, I would say, sexist or misogynist things that some of the men who were part of those councils wrote and said. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think thinking about that, you know, just got me realizing how much they were not looking out for women as they made those theological Mm -hmm. statements and as they with each other, with other men about what people should believe. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about how women were not represented in those conversations or really respected by the people who were having those conversations, I think really makes you think twice about everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes beautiful, incredible faith to kind of sit with, why would it be a threat for me to hear from somebody who doesn't have my experience? Yeah. What's my fear of loss? What's happening that if I hear someone else's experience that, is it my comfort? Is it my privilege? Is it like what, what's, what's so, what causes my resistance to hear from someone else? Totally. Yeah. And what causes that resistance to change? Um, mm-hmm. Cause it's okay if we're wrong about things, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's wrong about things all the time. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Like change is hard, but it, it doesn't have to be threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something beautiful about sitting with people who you can tell they've done the work because their original perspective in life has expanded, Mm. whatever that is. And the more your perception expands, which doesn't mean you take in everything. It just means you have more of a panoramic view that whatever someone else brings, that there's an openness to, Mm. to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear certain people say all the time, like, why doesn't someone want to hear my side? And, and honestly, it's because we've heard your side. We've lived um, your side. And now we're we're wanting to not have a side. We want it to be whole. We want it to be room for everybody at the table. Just like in Romans 14. Right. I love Romans 14 about how it just talks about everybody's allowed at the table. If they're eating something that you don't think they should eat, do you really think you're the one that needs to say something? Do you not believe mm. that God will help them? Yeah. Right. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And so just kind of sitting with, we all have different perspectives and just the openness that someone else can bring something to the table that you may not have experienced, but could learn from. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's not necessarily a sign of strength to Mm -hmm. kind of dig our heels in Mm -hmm. and stick to whatever we were taught or whatever we might Mm -hmm. have believed for a long time. It's Mm -hmm. a sign of strength to be open to change and to hear from different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The very, very fragile ego when we, (laughs) Yeah, don't know how to go beyond where we already are, right? right? Yeah. Is there a certain scripture as you're dismantling and deconstructing that um, you really could still hold on to, even if it was evolving your meaning of it? Was there something that kept you? Because a lot of people go through this and they don't return to the church. They don't return back to the Bible. And, and is there certain scripture, certain things that really grounded you? Yeah. Um yeah, that's a good question, because I feel like my relationship to the Bible has really changed, but I do still love and value it um, and find a ton of good and inspiring things there. Um, mm. I think that um, in Galatians 3.28, uh, yeah. where Paul writes that there's no male and female, slave yeah. or free, Jew or Gentile, all are one in Christ. I think that's mm-hmm. always been really powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Not that those distinctions and the uniqueness of who we are doesn't matter, but that it's not supposed to cause a power differential within Christian mm-hmm. community, whether that's mm-hmm. gender or race or economic status. 
Um, so I think that continues to be powerful for me and something yeah. I think about a lot and feel encouraged by when I'm on the underside of power structures and, mm -hmm. and challenged by when I'm not. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's that. And I think I think the way that Paul writes about spiritual gifts, too, um, mm -hmm. like in First Corinthians and elsewhere, I think has always been really powerful that. Um, it's also kind of this equalizing thing. I think that God mm -hmm. gives different people different gifts and they're mm -hmm. all of different value. And so everybody I meet has something to offer and mm -hmm. I have something to offer. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're meant yeah. to do that freely. It's not meant to be based on, on gender or anything else. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of the uniqueness of who God made us to be and mm -hmm. feeling that freedom to offer what we have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up Galatians 3.28. I've, I've been reading Galatians 2, 3, and 5 a lot this week, and, mm -hmm. and particularly Galatians 3.28. Uh, in, in my understanding, I do not like the word slave, and I feel like as a white person, mm -hmm. I shouldn't even say, even though I'm not completely white, I still feel like I shouldn't even say the word slave. Sure. Um, but I love that, you know, um, neither Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, like all of that, because what it means to me is that as we develop who we actually are and we become balanced, then it's not about the things that we thought was complete identity. Like that's mm -hmm. the freedom in Christ, like that it becomes a, a balance and becomes more of who we are versus who we were told or who we had to try to be so that we could be at that mm -hmm. church or stay in that family, right? That it, it just evolves into something mm -hmm. that allows us to know wherever we go, wherever is around us, that we belong. Because we're we're our identities in Christ. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I'm thinking about um I don't remember which book this is in, but I, I remember reading Brene Brown writing mm -hmm. at some point that um it was something along the lines of if you have to change yourself mm -hmm. in order to belong, it's not true belonging. Yeah, that's right. That's so yeah, good. Yeah, I think about yeah. that a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I love Brene Brown so mm -hmm. much. Um so let me throw this out to you. Two things. So the first one is just thinking about, again, you're working really hard and intellectually bringing something and reconciling and staying in the church, finding a church that actually loves all and welcomes all. And, mm -hmm. and, but that 67 million people since COVID have left the church. And that's the last statistic mm -hmm. I had. It could be even more by now. And just speaking into that of how those who, or conservative or because not everybody conservative automatically believes that. So I feel like I'm making generalization, but those who are a bit more of evangelical have gotten entire and they've drawn in tighter as mm. people are leaving and the tighter they draw in, the more they decide you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain person, the more people are leaving. Yeah. Not just that you have an answer to that, but just, just what comes up for you. Just hearing that. I feel that. Yeah, I feel that kind of digging in and circling the wagons and wanting to self-protect. Um, as far as all of the millions of people leaving churches, um, I mean, I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing for people to leave or to take a break yeah. from church for as long mm -hmm. as they need to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think like spiritual life and connection with God is important yeah. and good, right. uh, but that doesn't have to be limited to within church walls or mm -hmm. definitely not to a certain kind of church. 
Um, so I'm all for people figuring out what that looks like for them mm -hmm. in ways that are healthy and feel right mm -hmm. and coming back to church or to a different kind yeah. of church when that feels like the right thing for them, but not any sooner. Mm. Yeah, um, that's so good. Yeah. Just, people need to hear permission for that. They mm -hmm. really do. That That's really, really okay. Um, I yeah. have a, I have a, um, a patient and she's Native American and Anytime anyone, Native American, brown or black, walks in to my office as a therapist, like there is a higher celebration because they are taught culturally mm. to not walk in. Right. And so anyway, she she gave me some sage. And I will tell you so much of my Christian walk would have been I had well, I would have to reject her, reject her culture, reject her gift. Uh, right. Uh, because, you know, Reiki, sage, yoga, all these are things that the enemy will come in. Right. And the, to now be more evolved and more of understanding how how broad and beautiful God really is, yeah. to be so excited that she chose me to hand that sage to. Totally. What a gift. What, what a, a gift. gift. But to yeah. be taught that that's, that's somehow evil. Right. How limiting when he came to set the captives free that I'm going to believe that that's evil. Right. He came yeah. to set the captives free. He came that we would have abundant life and life to the full. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Jesus said at one point that those who are not against us are for us. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. just an openness and mm -hmm. Jesus open to interacting with all sorts of people and not mm -hmm. requiring people to believe a certain thing or go yeah. to a certain kind of church. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. And so to look at that, that, I was taught sage is evil and now I, I know differently, but I want to talk about what I think truly is evil in, in this idea that people are leaving church is knowing that at the Southern Baptist convention recently within their conference, over 800 reported cases of sexual abuse from pastor or youth pastor with, with child over 800 active cases. And at their last convention, when they gathered together, they talked zero about the 800 cases and instead spent their time talking about women in ministry yeah. and voted against women being on stage. That's evil. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And just yeah. reconciling that, just sitting with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, a, that is a ton of cases. Um, but even, even given that the vast majority of well-meaning Christians are not actively perpetrating that kind of abuse, mm -hmm. everybody participates in creating an environment where it can happen and isn't held accountable. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I definitely think part of the drag queen thing that happened recently was to cover up all that was mm -hmm. happening within the Southern Baptist that that main cases have been reported. And so then the drag queens who, Again, all my years of being a psychotherapist and sitting with victims, not one has reported being assaulted by a drag queen. Not one. Totally. Right. Totally. Uh, but I think that was all part of it. But again, it's this idea that you, you're like, you're peppered with all this wealth of knowledge. You know all this. And it's still you staying centered with your relationship with God. Like the grace that that requires. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you take in information like that. Do you have a, do you have like a spiritual practice, like a detox process so that you can continue just to sit in God's love when you hear things like that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I'm definitely less up on all the conservative evangelical news than I used to be. And I'm kind of okay Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it's okay. And it's good to focus on building the kind of communities that we want to build. Um, And yeah, there might be times that we need to pay attention to and speak out about things that are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I think I really want to be focused on being part of the communities that I want to be a part of and mm-hmm. kind of actively figuring out together what different ways of being can look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even you saying that gives people permission to, you don't have to hear all those news. You don't have to sit with mm-hmm. all that, especially if it becomes a distraction from really knowing how to participate and get in, you know, just the embodiment uh, of God's love and God's purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay to leave that world behind and Mm -hmm. leave behind a lot of the things that come with it. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of things that are just really stressful. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there um, an, you know, abnormal, so to speak, or just non-traditional practice that you, you have learned, whether it's some type of meditation or anything that's helped you do exactly that and let your relationship with God just be personal? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's been it's been really good to try to think about my relationship with God outside of the boxes of acceptable evangelical forms of connecting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think I mean, for me, that's like taking walks and spending time outside, spending time in trees or by the water mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and places that just kind of bring peace. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. also music. Um mm-hmm. And I really enjoy yoga. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think anything that kind of connects you with your body and with nature in the outdoors, yeah. um, that's really powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nature is huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. So nature for you, yoga, walking, things that help you be reminded of something that's beyond, like this bigger than, yeah. than what's happening. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think, um, I mean, in my more evangelical days, I used to journal a ton. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, I like to write. So that worked for me. Um, yeah. It was also kind of a way of processing my relationship with God and everything. Yeah. Um, and I think when I look back on those journals, um, I see a lot of just holding myself to very high Christian standards and mm-hmm. feeling bad if I wasn't meeting them. Uh. Um so I think I, I still, I've come back to journaling a little bit, but more of just kind of like processing what was meaningful to me and jotting mm-hmm. down what was meaningful to me about each day so that I could remember it mm-hmm. and writing down anything that I feel is kind of a prayer that's on my mind. Um, yeah. So I think that's been, I think that's been really good to kind of reframe a journaling practice mm-hmm. um, so that I'm still processing and remembering and engaging with God, but not necessarily in a way where like I have to do or be certain things and my journal is supposed to help me like be better and do better. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Reframe is such a, such a good word for that. Right. Of what you're working on. How, yeah. how's music been for you? Because I know for me, you know, only listen to Christian music and then, you know, being overall, removed from a church once I came out and all that's happening you know it's just it's a different experience here in music now so what's it been like for you it's been really hard (laughs) 
Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I used to lead worship music, oh, wow. and I used to love just playing it on the guitar yeah. and singing it on my own. And um, so that has really changed in the last few years. Some of the songs that I used to love, I now don't really resonate with anymore, or even mm-hmm. think are toxic or harmful, the things that mm-hmm. they're teaching people. Um, and it, it didn't help that a lot of worship leaders who write and perform those songs um, have really been vocal supporters of Trump and um, or leading worship music revivals without masks during the pandemic, that kind of thing. Um, that's been really hard and mm-hmm. really um, connecting, I think, for me mm-hmm. from that whole world that used to be mm-hmm. a source of peace and is mm-hmm. now a source of uh, mm-hmm. discombobulation and tension. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm kind of very much on a journey that is kind of maybe even its beginning stages of trying to find worship music that I do feel connected with and I feel is safe and good. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also just like, I mean, I play some very rudimentary piano and, Mm -hmm. uh, have some Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. songs that I'm working on there. Um, so I think it's been really good to just kind of enjoy like a different form of music mm-hmm. making in a very casual way. Um, mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily specifically worship mm-hmm. music, but that mm-hmm. feels I keep coming back to the word safe because some of that yes. music doesn't yes. feel emotionally safe for me anymore. But playing yeah. something on the piano does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that. And and just even the reminding everybody about toxicity and, and safeness, like God's called us to be safe in connection. In that, you know, for people also that are listening that you might not have that experience with Christian music, just to use this as an opportunity to pause and think that that we might be hearing something in the words that that you're not hearing, but there is a toxicity in mm-hmm. certain songs. And yeah. once you know, you can't not know. And it's hard to right. know. It's hard to have this level of awareness. This is not the yeah. easy path. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you know, you can't unknow. That's for yeah. sure. You can't unhear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. never thought I would be somebody who now is listening to what's considered secular music or listening to Brandy Carlisle or whoever. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that I still hear God in every song. Yeah. Everything I hear is still a message of love or a reminder or whatever, but it is, again, I love Christian music, but there's certain songs now that I can hear hear the manipulation mm. yeah the manipulation yeah. the guilt mm-hmm. the self-adulation yeah yes. like i am nothing yes <laughs> uh, yes like low self-worth and value yeah. so many mm-hmm. things yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a, there's a lot of narcissism in the church system in any yeah. system right in uh but within the church system and the idea of of being gaslit so much that you don't know that gaslighting is what's actually happening yeah yeah Yeah, so much narcissism and so much like you said manipulation Mm -hmm. so that it feels wrong to question a leader or authority figure um or kind of like i was reflecting on before it feels wrong to listen to your own intuitions about things um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's so good yeah i appreciate that is there anything else for someone who's listening, who's had, whether it's whatever form of religious trauma, whatever form of disappointment within the church that they've had, is there anything in closing that you want to make sure that they hear from you? 
Yeah, I think one thing would be um, just on that note of gaslighting uh, <laughs> to to pay attention to our mm -hmm. bodies, to our feelings, our intuitions, mm -hmm. our guts, our minds, um, mm -hmm. and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, right? Yeah. Like, don't let yeah. anybody tell you that you're not experiencing what you're experiencing yeah. or that it doesn't matter or it's not mm -hmm. important or that you're the only one. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just kind of valuing, um, mm. your own like perspective and experience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes there's a, a view that I think is very manipulative when it comes from those in power of like, nobody should be disrupting the unity of the church. Um, mm -hmm. and so bringing up any issues or tensions mm -hmm. or things that are wrong is disrupting that unity, um, mm -hmm. and I think that that is really damaging. I think that really mm -hmm. suppresses minority views. It contributes mm -hmm. to the oppression and marginalization of people mm -hmm. who don't really have a voice in that space. Um, right. so I think right. I'd encourage who are, whose views are minoritized to speak mm -hmm. about them and not feeling like you're being, being divisive or wrong for doing so. And, um, encourage anyone with any sort of churchy power to really rethink that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good and really strong just to remind people that your perspective, your intuition, like what you're experiencing, what's coming up for you matters. And it just makes me think about that Greg Locke, Pastor Greg Locke, a lot of people are very aware of, like recently did a sermon about if you bring Starbucks into this church, you will be asked to leave. And so to compare that to my church, when you walk in, there could very easily be a man wearing a dress and no one cares. Mm. He is welcome to be there. And we don't find anything wrong with that because yeah. he is there worshiping the Lord wearing a dress. It's like I'm there wearing jeans. Because it becomes what really matters, which is who you are, your soul. That's what matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be somewhere that the focus is coffee, how are you ever going to think that you matter? How do you, how will you know what really matters if that's the focus? Yeah, coffee mm -hmm. or what you're wearing, like you said, or mm -hmm. for young women, how dress is often policed in terms of yes. perceived modesty. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. a lot wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. So much mm -hmm. police. Police is another really good word of, of what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The opposite of freedom and liberation and all the things yeah. that I think faith yeah. communities could be. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And for everyone to please remember that part of what Liz is saying and speaking so well is that a lot of things that feel comfortable, like being police, believing that we have the power to cause a man to sin, the idea that that we have less influence than someone else does feels really comfortable. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it purpose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it what God wants for us. It just feels really familiar. Yeah. We've gotten used to a lot of things that yes. are not okay. And They're that's why it's okay. so important to welcome disruption, mm -hmm. <laughs> to welcome yes. different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Another great word disruption, right? That whatever is called dysregulation needs to be disrupted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, thank you so, so much. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat real quick. And after the hot seat, we'll talk about how to make sure people get their book in your hands and that they learn right. more about you. Are you ready for the hot seat? All right. Sure. It won't be, it won't be too bad. It's lighthearted. <laughs> All right. So what law would you break if there were no consequences for it? If you could get away with it, what law would you break? 
mean, I feel like some speed limits are a little low. Yeah. Well, speed limits are a suggestion. They're just a suggestion. So, <laughs> so you're right. You would, drive, you would drive faster. In some cases where some it's safe cases. to do All right. so. Yeah. All, right. All right. Safe. I hear you. I hear you. Very good. A nice, innocent answer. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. If you could give yourself a different name. What would it be? I have never thought about that. When I was in middle school, I was very into the name Zoe and even yeah. told a substitute teacher once that that was my name. And I thought I was very clever. <laughs> so that's a little embarrassing. <laughs> I love that. All right, Zoe, you'd be Zoe. That's great. I love it. What is your favorite binge worthy show? Um, I will confess that I've been recently watching Married at First Sight. Yes, love. it is totally depraved and totally fascinating. Yeah, so fascinating. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's a great show. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. All right, last hot seat question. What is your favorite quote? That's, that's a great question. Um, hmm. I mean, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is the arc of the moral universe is long but bends toward justice. Ooh, um, I like that a lot. Yeah. Ooh. I have a friend uh, named Cameron Belm who recently posted some reflections on Instagram and part of her reflections was kind of like, yeah, the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice and we need to help push it there. And I was yeah. like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely. good. I can feel that. I can, yeah. I'm, I can get behind that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so good. All right, Liz, please, Liz Zoe, will you please tell everybody how they can get your book? Instagram handle anything else so they can continue to follow you yeah um I'm pretty active on Instagram as at Liz cool J um that's where I share kind of just general writing and updates and stuff and then I also have at post evangelical prayers um where I share prayers that I've written from a post evangelical perspective um and the book is called nice churchy patriarchy reclaiming women's humanity from evangelicalism Mm. And it's available on Amazon, bookshop.org, barnesandnoble.com. That's fantastic. It's so good. Well, thank you for being a part of Flip Your Lid. I really appreciate what you brought to the table today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Wonderful, amazing audience. I don't know exactly what you heard today, but I do know you heard at least one thing that helped you reconnect to who you really are. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.